Well, let's, uh, let's get the verses up there, and we're going to take a look tonight. We're going to finish up this little discussion on the milk and meat of the Word. What in the world is the meat of the Word? Well, stand with me, and let's read some verses, and then uh, you can be seated. While you're standing and getting ready, let me remind you, next Wednesday night, we're going to be talking about sex. Everybody say sex. Well, that was just powerful. Let me, let me just put my hair back down. Sex. You know, God created sex, and we're going to uh, talk straight about sex, and we're going to see what the Bible says about sex. You know, if I'm a true Bible teacher, I've got to teach about it because the Bible's full of talk about sex, sexual terminology, sexual stories, and let me tell you what it's going to do. Number one, it's going to clear out a lot of confusion because the culture is attacking the church, the culture out there, false belief systems, false um, views of, of sex and, and all kinds of things. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about words, uh, million-dollar theological words, concupiscence, lasciviousness, licentiousness, defrauding. What does all that mean? You need to know because God talks about it. Uh, it's not going to be, don't come holding on to your toes like you're going to get beat up. You're not. Just come and, and, and see what God says about it. Then this Sunday, I'm going to be starting a series on landmines in the walk of faith. And I want to deal with six landmines that can blow up under your feet. I found out after I decided to do this, Charles Stanley did a series on this. I'm not copying Charles. I, didn't, I wasn't even aware of it when I came up with it and thought about it. So it must be God saying the same thing to the church. And my landmines are not his landmines. I'm just telling you, this is not preacher plagiarism. All right. So don't miss this Sunday, one of the, the first landmine in the walk of faith. And I'll, I'll let you wonder what it is. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 to 5. Let's talk about the meat of the word tonight. But for right now, Paul says, I am frustrated by your unspiritual dealings with each other and with God. You're acting like infants in relation to Christ, capable of nothing much more than nursing at the breast. Well then, I'll nurse you since you don't seem capable of anything more. For you are still what, everyone? Now, are these not the gifted Corinthians? Think about that. These are the people that he wrote 1 Corinthians 12 to. All the gifts of the Spirit, the nine gifts of the Spirit. How in the world are they unspiritual? Well, he says you're still unspiritual having the, natu or the nature of the flesh under the control of ordinary impulses. For as long as there are envying, jealousy, wrangling, and factions among you, cliques we would call them, are you not unspiritual and of the flesh, you gifted Corinthians? Behaving yourselves after a human standard and like mere unchanged men. When one of you says, I'm on Paul's side. Another one says, I'm for Apollos. Aren't you being totally infantile? Though the Corinthian church was loaded with the gifts of the Spirit, they were very immature. And so we're going to look at that tonight. Father, thank you for teaching us about the milk and the meat of the Word and about spiritual maturity. And I know, Lord, your longing for everyone in this sanctuary is that we would walk in spiritual maturity, grow up into you. Speak to us tonight, Lord. Would you breathe a prayer, church, and just say, Lord, speak to my heart. 
Help me to grow up into full maturity. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll turn to your neighbor and tell them, grow up. And they'll get mad at each other. We all need to grow up some. Now, it's a real dichotomy here that Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, which is the most gifted of the churches he wrote to. Man, they were zealous for spiritual gifts. Do you remember that? They were zealous for spiritual gifts. But here they are being called immature. So first lesson learned tonight is you can be flowing in all the gifts and still be a little baby in your maturity level. Let's put it another way. Somebody who has a great spiritual gift, it does not necessarily equate into great spiritual maturity. Spiritual gifts and spiritual maturity have nothing to do with each other. A gift is sown. Maturity is grown. Okay? So here's the Corinthian church, loaded with the gifts of the Spirit, talking in tongues, praying for the sick, casting out devils, walking in discernment, believing God for miracles, all of this. But they were immature. And Paul, their father in the faith, was frustrated because he could not feed them what he called the meat of the Word. They couldn't handle it. You know why? They didn't have any teeth. They were still babies. Now, next, Paul uses an illustration to help us understand milk and meat and why the foundation must be properly laid. Now, you right now are a spiritual house, every one of you. You are a spiritual house. And there's a foundation, either a good one or a bad one, laid in your soul. Now, let's see what he says about it. To put it another way, you are God's house. Say with me, I am God's house. Well, what's a house for? It's for somebody to live in. God has chosen to live in us as His house, His place of residence. God is not living in a building like this anymore. He doesn't live in a temple like He did in the Old Testament. He doesn't primarily manifest in a temple. He manifests in you. He lives in you. And the only reason somebody feels God when they walk in here is because He's flowing out of you. You are the residence of God. Now, God has chosen to live in us as His house, and according to the grace bestowed on me, Paul says, like a skilled architect and a master builder, I laid the foundation, and now another man is building upon it. Let every carpenter, and carpenter is a metaphor for whoever is teaching you, I'm a carpenter right now, metaphorically. I'm building on the foundation. Some of you, I lay the foundation. But once that foundation is laid, then we begin building on that foundation. So metaphorically, I'm a carpenter, and I have come on the job taking care to build on the foundation that is already laid. I'm building right now on your foundation. Now, he says, remember, there is only one foundation, the one that's already been laid, and that is Jesus Christ. That's the foundation. He says, so the milk of the word is comprised of the truths that lay the foundation of Christ in the soul of every believer. Hebrews 6 lays them out. Now what we're about to rehash, kind of recap a little bit, summarize a little bit from last time, is what we're about to read is, is not meat. This is milk stuff, all right? 
Here they are. They're found in Hebrews 6. Therefore, leaving or, or let us leave the elementary teachings, the elementary teachings about Christ and do what, everyone? Say it with me. Go on to where? Maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death. That's the first uh, foundation stone. We call it finding the rock. That's the first foundation stone. Repentance from dead works. The second one, faith in God or faith toward God. Third one, instruction about baptisms, plural. There's water baptism. There's baptism in the body of Christ. There's baptism in the Spirit. So there are plural baptisms. Fourth one, the laying out of hands. That has to do with the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, the gifts of the Spirit are not the meat of the Word. They're milk. These are the elementary teachings. Okay? Then he says uh, the resurrection of the dead. Well, if you don't know that there's going to be a resurrection of the dead, you need to be taught again. Because we're all going to be resurrected from the dead. And then finally, the sixth one, eternal judgment. Now he says, these six things are milk teachings. They are not the meat of the word. And we shouldn't treat them such. And he says, and God permitting, we will do so. We will do what? We will go on to maturity. But notice that it says, if you don't have the milk teachings down, God won't let you. You've got to, you are hindered from being able to go on to maturity. This is very powerful, y'all. The more I read the New Testament, the more I see that one of God's great longings for you and me is that we grow into maturity, that we grow up into the fullness of the stature of Christ. And until you get these milk teachings down, and you get taught well, and you get that foundation laid, is that God won't permit you to, to go on unto maturity. Now, what does that tell us about the body of Christ at large when you look out there at the church? Let me ask you a question. Does it look to you like the church at large is spiritually mature? No. I'm going to tell you as a pastor, they're not. Uh, most of the church, and, and I say this uh, sadly, most of the church... Well, I say most. I'll say it more than not, have never even been taught the milk. That's why we want all of you to go through finding the rock. Because we want you to be taught the milk of the word. Get that foundation laid. So God will permit us to go on to maturity if we have laid the foundation well. Now here's a Bible truth. I want you to get this and always remember I told you this. A repeated New Testament theme is that of Christians coming out of infanthood into spiritual maturity. It's a repeat theme. It's a repeat burden that you hear echoed over and over again by Paul and Peter, James, John, the apostles. Paul actually grieved and feared that the churches that he had planted would miss this. Okay, real concern to him. Why is the foundation that comes from the milk of the word so important? And why must we be uh, certain what we build on top of that foundation? Listen again. Here's the word. 
Take particular care in picking out your building materials. Eventually, there's going to be an inspection of what you build in your spiritual life. There's going to come an inspection. God will see to it. It'll come by trial. It'll come by fire. It'll come by difficulties. God will see what you are made up of. He will try you. And that's good news. Everybody say, that's good news. It's a Holy Ghost inspection. I mean, hey, when we were doing this building here, the city would come in from time to time and inspect what we were doing. I hated that day. I feared that day. But it happened. They would come in and inspect what we had done. And if it didn't pass the test, we got red tagged. Now, I'm going to tell you, God will red tag you. God will come in by the Holy Ghost. He does not tell you ahead of time he's coming. He walks in the door. Something happens. Uh, you go through a trial, something tests you, and, and God takes a look at what has been built on your foundation. There's going to be an inspection. Now, he says if you use cheap or inferior materials, you'll be find, found out. The inspection will be thorough and it will be rigorous. That's the word of God I'm reading. That's not a Jeffism. Here's what you better build on. And not only this book called the Bible, but you better build on what it really says and not what someone falsely tells you it says. He goes on and he says, you're not going to get by with a thing. How many of you realize that? You don't get by with a thing. Now watch this. If your work passes inspection, fine. And how do you know it passed inspection? You come through the trial. You come out on the other side. You're still in church. You're still in prayer. You're still in the Word. You're still praising God. And you have come through like gold tried in the fire. And your faith is stronger than before you went in. You know more about God than before you went in. You're better off than before you went in. And that's the way a successful trial is navigated. He says, but if it doesn't pass inspection, you're part of the building will be torn out, and you're going to have to start over. Now, that's what's happening with these people in Hebrews. He said, am I going to have to lay again the foundation when you ought to be teaching the Word? I'm having to lay again the foundation in your life. You ought to be up there teaching, and I'm having to teach you the milk again. They were having to start over. Now, I don't know about y'all. I don't want to start over. You want to start over? You want to have to go back and rebuild all over again? Say, well, you know, I went through a trial and I got mad at God and I walked out of the church and I quit praying, went and hugged a tree, kind of decided there might be other gods or just kind of got disgusted with the whole thing. And man, I just did not make it through that trial. God says, okay, get back in church, get back in the Word, get back in prayer, get back under a pastor and some people, get back, get back, get back. Let's start all over again. Here's, I love this principle, faith that fizzles at the finish was faulty at the first. I want you to remember that. Faith that fizzles, people say to me, can you lose your salvation? I say, look, if somebody walks away from God and renounce Jesus Christ and they walk away from God and go out there and just live like the devil and want nothing to do with Christ, then I say faith that fizzles at the finish was faulty at the first. If you lay a bad foundation or you build badly on top of your foundation, 
it will not last through testing. It'll crumble under the trials of life. Solomon wrote these words. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. If in the day of adversity you give up the ghost and you faint, your strength was small. The foundation is laid by learning the milk doctrines, and the building on top of the foundation is constructed by growing into maturity through eating the meat of the Word and walking in it. Now listen how often, I want you to catch this, how often the phrase grow up or building illustrations are used in reference to believers, to you. How often the New Testament uses the word build or grow up when talking about you and me. Here's 1 Peter 2.5. Come and like living stones be yourselves. What? Preach to me. You can preach better than that. Built. Come on, you're going to be on radio. Let's try it one more time. Like living stones, be yourselves. Built into a spiritual house. I'm showing you what God is doing every day that you wake up. You know what he's doing? He's building you into a spiritual house. You want to know the will of God? There it is. He wants to build you into a spiritual house. Let's look smart. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's own handiwork, his what? Workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus. So we are being built, we are his workmanship, God has a construction hat on, and you've got a sign on your chest, under construction, every single day of your life, not just Sundays, not just Wednesday nights, not just Easter, like one guy said to me, I come every Easter and you bless me every Easter. I know I've told you that, but I, I don't think I'll ever get over that. I said, really, I bless you every Easter. Hallelujah. I must really be having an impact. He said, you bless me every Easter. Praise the Lord. Now watch this. <laughs> uh, we are his workmanship. We're under construction. Every day that you awake, the Holy Ghost has got a hammer and chisel in his hands. And you're under construction. He's building you into a spiritual dwelling place for God. Now here's some more verses. You are what, everyone? Built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself, the chief cornerstone of the house. God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here and what he is building. Uh, he used the apostles and prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you, fitting you in to God's house brick by brick. Turn to your neighbor and say, do you know you're a brick? Some of you are thick as a brick. And that's an old Jethro Tull song, and I just dated myself. But anyway... Now look, he says, you're, you're all bricks in the house of God. And God is taking you and he is with all of us and all the believers throughout the world. We are being built into a spiritual house that we would show forth the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we ought to be like these spotlights that are in front of brand new Walmart or something, letting everybody know that they're there. That bright spotlight shining into the sky, that's what the church is supposed to be like. 
He says, brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together, we see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. I want God to be at home here. And I know that as long as we worship Jesus, preach Jesus, glorify Jesus. Let me tell you a little secret. The most important thing that happened on the day of Pentecost was not the falling of the Spirit. It was Jesus was finally glorified. And when he was glorified, the Spirit fell. Let me tell you a little key. Everywhere that Jesus is glorified, the Spirit of God shows up. Where Jesus is glorified, the Spirit of God shows up. And so we get in here, we sing about Jesus. We preach Jesus. We live for Jesus. We die for Jesus. We worship Jesus. We adore Jesus. We are Jesus freaks. All caps. Buddha didn't change me. Muhammad didn't change me. Jesus did. So everybody say with me, we're God's house, and we want him to feel at home here. You want God to feel at home? Amen. Then you glorify Jesus, and God will be right at home. And next, let's listen to God's longing for us to grow up into spiritual maturity. We heard the construction metaphors. Now let's look at what he says about maturity. He says that we all attain oneness in the faith and in the comprehension of the full and accurate knowledge of the Son of God, that we might arrive at really what, everyone? Mature manhood. So then, we may no longer be what? Children. He said, I don't want you to be children anymore. But what? What are children like? Tossed like ships to and fro between chance gusts of teaching and wavering with every changing wind of doctrine. Every new teaching that blows through town, the children latch onto it. But if you're mature, you're not tossed anymore. If you're mature, you're not seasick anymore. If you're mature, you're steady Eddie. If you're mature, you're stable. He says, I want you to be mature. I want you to quit being children, tossed around. Rather, let our lives lovingly express truth, he says, in all things. Doing what? Speaking truly, dealing truly, living truly, enfolded in love. Let us, what everyone? Say it to me. Grow up in every way and in all things into him. How many of you have ever stopped and thought, I wonder what Jesus would say to me if I could talk to him face to face? Have you ever said that to yourself? Or how many of you have ever said, I sure wish I could talk to him face to face? I'd have some questions. You ever said that? Let me tell you what I think Jesus would say to all of us if we could talk to him face to face. I know one thing he would say is, I'm longing for you to come out of infanthood into the fullness of spiritual adulthood. I want you to grow up. I don't want you tossed around anymore. I don't want you chewing your nails anymore, 
worrying about the simple things of life anymore. I don't want you unable to sleep at night. I don't want you to be worried about God coming through for you. I don't want you to be looking for different trendy, faddish doctrines because you're looking for something new. I want you rooted and grounded in love and growing up into me in all things. I want you to be like a rock. I think that's what he would say. Verse 16, he goes on, For because of him, the whole body, the whole body, when each part is working properly, what does it do? Say it with me. Grows to full maturity. When everybody is doing their part, something supernatural starts happening in the church. We start growing into full maturity. Building ourselves up in love. Now here's the summary. The milk of the word is comprised of the elementary teachings of the Christian faith. That's found in Hebrews 6, 1 through uh, 2. Second, the milk of the word is received with a cleansed heart, without hypocrisy. Third, those yet nursing on the milk of the word are unskilled in Christian living. They're tossed to and fro. They fall all the time. They skin their knees. Fourth, until we understand milk doctrines, we will choke on meat doctrines. Fifth, the heart cry of God is that we grow up into spiritual maturity in all things. Now here's the million dollar question. What in the world then is the meat of the word if we know what the milk is? What is the meat of the word? Let me show it to you. It too is found in Hebrews 6, 1 and 2. Here it is. Therefore, let us go on and get past the elementary stage in the teachings and doctrine of Christ, advancing steadily toward the completeness and perfection that belong to spiritual maturity. What is the meat of the word? It is that which causes you to advance steadily toward the completeness and perfection that belong to spiritual maturity. Now let's get more specific. The meat of the word is that teaching which helps the believer to advance into spiritual maturity. And look at three characteristics of the meat of the word. What is all this up here, Jeff? <laughs> Where is Jeff? <laughs> I'm here, everybody. Everybody say praise God. I think it's all there. It's just kind of, I don't know what those lines are. Edit this out, Jeff. Let's move right on. Here, you notice that milk is easy to handle, to divide, to combine, to transport, and to distribute. Milk is easy to drink. The milk of the Word is easy to listen to, all right? But meat is much more difficult to transport and process, divide, and distribute. Amen? For instance, Peter wrote, And remember, the Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. Now, what we're about to see is that what Paul says, some of the teachings of Paul, for example, are hard to understand. The meat of the word is something that requires you and I to chew it, to think about, to meditate on. When you hear something that's meaty from the word, it's not easily taken in. You go, huh, hmm, wow, I'm going to think about that i got to think about that. What did God mean by that? Chew, 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 chew. You can't take the meat of the word down like milk because it needs to be chewed. 
Listen to what Peter wrote about his brother Paul in his writings. And remember, the Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. That's why he hadn't come back yet. This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him, speaking of these things in all of his letters. Now, what does he say about Paul's teaching? Read it with me. Some of his comments are hard to understand. Why? Because you've got to chew them. Why? Because it's meat. <laughs> That's right. Now watch this. Much of what Paul wrote about was meaty. Now here's some meaty topics like election, things like election, predestination, sovereignty, God's foreknowledge. They are difficult to wrap your mind around. You got to chew on those things. They're meat. If you want to challenge your spiritual maturity level, I'll give you a little, uh, a little something to do. Just wrestle with the mind-bending concept of how God saw you in Christ Jesus before the first star twinkled in the night sky. How did God see you in Christ before he said, let there be light? How did God see you in Christ? That's meat. Are y'all there? So the, the first way you know that something is the meat of the word is it's not easily taken in. You got to chew on it. You got to chew on it. And I could, I could teach some things here on Wednesday nights. I tell you, you sit there looking at me with a furrowed brow. You'd walk out of here. You'd be hitting me with all kinds of questions. Some of you would be mad at me if I taught real meat. Now, here's another characteristic of meat. Spiritual meat teaches delayed versus immediate gratification. When I started thinking about what is the meat of the word, well, it's that which is difficult. It's that which uh, uh, our flesh really reacts to. It, it is that which challenges us. And I've noticed that when it's something meaty from the word, a good example is when you've got to deal with delayed versus immediate gratification. We live in a society that is a microwave culture. We want what we want, when we want it, and that's it, and it's settled, and I don't want to hear anything else. And we bring that kind of thinking into the church. But you know what I learned about God? He doesn't care. God never changes His Word to make us happy. God does not change His Word to make you happy. As a matter of fact, God's not real... Well, let me put it this way. He's not nearly as concerned about you being happy as he is you being holy. And on his way to getting you holy, sometimes it ain't going to make you happy. Bad English, good preaching. You think about it, babies. Babies have no concept of waiting, of sacrifice, of saying no to one thing in order to obtain a better thing. They want what they want when they want it. If you let them eat what they want, they will live on sugar and junk. They will live on Hostess Twinkies and Cocoa Krispies and ice cream and popcorn and Coke. If you let them. Why? Because they're babies. They're not thinking about their future. They're only thinking about now. And that's what spiritual babies are, are like. Exactly. And then you run into a God who, once you start growing up a little bit, says, I want you to learn sacrifice, dying to yourself, and patience. 
And you know what we do? We start choking on that because that's not milk. That's meat. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to be my disciple, let him deny himself, disregard, lose sight of, and forget himself and his own interests and take up his cross and follow me. That is so contrary to our culture that that's why most people in this country do not walk with God. Can I just drop another little bomb on you? More people than not in American churches do not really walk with God. They get their fire insurance. They get saved. They never grow out of the milk of the Word. You know why? I don't want to deny myself. I don't want to crucify my flesh. Why would I want to pick up a cross? Isn't that where people are crucified? Yes. Real quiet in here tonight. See, what happens when you talk about meat? Everybody's going, mm, mm, mm. Because <laughs> that's the meat of the word. We don't like stuff that costs us. We want God, give me, give me, give me, give me, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me. Lay it on me, Lord. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. And we, and, and we love that aspect of God. But then we run into a God that says, if you want to grow up, you're going to have to deny your flesh, deny yourself, put others before you, put me before you, lay your will down, and follow me. And we just we start choking on that stake. And more Christians than not don't go there. So they live in milk land. And their preachers are milk preachers. And their churches are milk churches. And you know what? They never change their culture. Jesus said, for whoever is bent on saving his temporal life, his comfort and security here shall lose it. And whoever loses his life, this comfort and security here, for my sake, shall find it. We don't like that. Americans don't like that. Good grief. The economic crisis we're in is because we would not embrace delayed versus immediate gratification. That's why we're in deep trouble a trillion dollars worth, and it's getting worse. Because we don't like delayed gratification, but that's what Jesus taught. Now, losing to obtain, that's what Jesus taught. Sacrificing to win, that's what Jesus taught. Dying to live, that's what Jesus taught. These are the laws of the kingdom, and because they are meat and not milk, most people choke on them. How many of you in here ever choked on having to crucify and deny yourself? Come on, tell the truth. Don't lie here in church. We don't like it, do we? We don't like it. Now, here's a third characteristic of meat. We're headed towards the close, and some of you said, praise the Lord. <laughs> the meat of the Word teaches one to be principle-driven rather than emotion-driven. Now, I'm going to tell you again, our culture is not principle-driven. If our culture was principle-driven, we would not be in the economic crisis we're in. We are taught in America to be emotion-driven. One of the signs of the decline of American culture is we are no longer principle-driven people. We're emotion-driven. We're need-driven. 
We're want-driven. We are not principle-driven. If we were principle-driven, we would be willing to die to ourselves for the sake of a principle. That's how America was formed. But we're not anymore. Let me show you what I mean by this. Those who are mature make decisions based on Bible principle rather than fleeting emotions. Do you know that? That's maturity. Paul was the master of this. For example, he said to the Philippian church, listen to this. He said, I am hard-pressed between two choices, having a desire to depart and be with Jesus, which is the most desirable thing for me, or to remain on this crummy earth for your sakes. And what did he choose? He answers it. He says, nevertheless, I shall remain and continue with you for your progress and joy of faith. What he wanted, he did not do because he followed principle, not desire. What principle did he follow? The principle of Bible love rather than the pull of his own desires. I'm going to tell you, I can, I can tell you that the thermometer of maturity, if you can tell, I want to tell if you're 98.7, it is, are you principle-driven or are you emotion-driven? The more mature you become, the more principle-driven you will become. The less mature you are, the more emotion-driven and want-driven and desire-driven you will be. Here's a spiritual nugget. The more mature you become, the more principle-driven you will be. Amen. Say, so, you know, you, you, we get up on a Sunday morning and say, you know, I just don't feel like going to church. It's been a long week. Hallelujah. God understands. You wait till I get into sex. <laughs> I heard some of you just say to yourself, I'm staying home, man. Don't you? Because we're going to, you talk about immediate versus delayed gratification. See what God has to say about that. Now, we say, I, I just don't feel like going to church. Praise the Lord. I sense the Spirit all over me that God understands. And every once in a while, He does. I'm not saying. But these people get me who say, uh, uh, you know, I'm just on a sabbatical. You've been on a sabbatical for two years, dude. I know it, but, you know, I just sense that it's okay with God. I haven't been in church in two years, but God understands. You know, I just feel the anointing of God. I have church in my living room. And I say, really? Well, the Bible says, don't forsake the assembly of yourselves together as a matter of some is. I know it, but God understands me. It's all about me. I'm unique and special and different. I'm not like the rest. I have unique problems. God understands. So I'm taking a sabbatical, a long sabbatical. When you left, you were a brunette. Now that you're back, you're gray-headed. <laughs> so we tend to say, we tend to say, you know what, um, I'm emotion-driven, I'm need-driven, but God is principle-driven. God is principle-driven, and so is maturity. Now watch this. The meat of the word, let's summarize it. The meat of the word is characterized by teaching that is more difficult to chew, harder to understand. It requires thought, study, meditation, and maturity to embrace it. That's the meat of the word. The second characteristic of it is teaching that encourages delayed versus immediate gratification. That's always meaty, and people choke on that one. Third one, 
teaching that encourages a principle-driven rather than emotion-driven life. That's the meat of the word. You be principle-driven, driven, truth-driven, not feeling-driven. And you're walking into maturity. Let's stand together, can we? How many of you needed this tonight? All right. I did too. Let's pray together. And how many of you want to grow up? I mean, I do. I, I want to keep on growing up. And keep on growing up. Then let's let's uh let's pray right now. Father, we just thank you that you've laid out your word for us and shown us that your desire is that we be built into a spiritual house, offering spiritual sacrifices to God. Your desire is that, Lord, we grow into maturity, no longer children tossed around, up and down. And, Lord, we just thank you that the call of the Spirit on everyone here is that we would grow up. And, Lord, I thank you that I see a spiritual house being built right in front of me, a beautiful spiritual house, brick by brick and stone by stone, offering worship and offering praise and offering thanksgiving to God. And we thank you for it, Lord. And so, Lord, right now we ask you to help us to embrace the meat of the word that will always grow us up. In the name of Jesus. Now we're going to sing one stanza of worship. And I want you to take a moment as we close out this little teaching on the milk and the meat of the word. And I want you to say, Lord, help me to receive that meat of the word now that the foundation's been laid. And help me to build on that foundation the meat of the word, denying myself, walking with you, not living in the flesh, but living in the spirit, embracing the will of God so that I can grow into maturity. You have a moment with him as we just sing right now.